Andrew Murray had received his first appointment as a minister in the Dutch Reformed Church in South Africa, and he received a charge in the Orange River Sovereignty. It was a 50,000-mile square territory, four times the size of Vancouver Island, and he was the only pastor. He had zeal, but as he traveled constantly back and forth to these distant parishes, he began to physically weaken, and a bout of illness struck him. And so he decided that he needed to go to Europe to seek healing. And he realized that this sickness had robbed him of the ability to speak. So he was a pastor without a voice. Some people pray for that miracle every Sunday, I'm sure, so that they can get to their lunch plans on time. But Murray wrestled with it. Over a 20-month period, he just kept asking God the same thing over and over. Why? Why me? Why now? Why, when I pray, do you not heal me and take this sickness from me? And he prayed and he prayed and he prayed, but nothing changed. And so he sought counsel and prayer. He went to some of the most noted preachers of his day in Europe. And had them pray for him, and still nothing. Eventually, he decided that he was going to spend a period of three weeks together away in England with a group of friends who were gathered to study the topic of the Bible on divine healing. And they came at almost the end of their three weeks to the book of James, chapter 5, where it says, the prayer offered in faith will heal you. And Murray wrote this to his friends back home. You may think that surely the prayer of faith is the matter of an instant, just like the laying on of hands or the anointing with oil that James speaks of, and that can be quite true. Yet in many cases, time is needed in order to learn what God's Word promises to and to understand what the cause and the purpose of the disease really are and what the conditions and the means of healing are. So morning by morning, 16 to 18 of us have been seeking healing. We've been gathered around the Word of God for this purpose. And following this intense season, God graciously chose to bring healing into Murray's life. And it shaped in him a very different understanding of what praying for healing began to mean. And so he wrote this, When I arrived with this group, my mind was fixed on healing. And faith was a secondary consideration. Faith was just to be employed as a means to an end, the end being healing, but soon discovered that God's first purpose was to develop faith. And the healing was a secondary question. Disease and cure, to his mind, derive their importance from the fact that they can awaken in us a stronger faith. And faith, again, is of value in his eyes, not merely as a means by which we obtain a blessing, but especially on the pathway to the fuller fellowship with himself and a fuller dependence on his power. Murray began to write uh, more of his experiences in his study of the scriptures of divine healing. And he had never received such vicious criticism in all of his ministry. And yet he continued. He wrote a book eventually titled Divine Healing, And in the preface, he wrote this, The publication of this work may be regarded as a testimony of my faith in divine healing, 
After being stopped for more than two years in the exercise of my ministry, I was healed by the mercy of God in answer to the prayer of those who had seen in him, I am the Lord that healeth thee. Exodus 15, 26. And this healing granted to faith has been a source of rich spiritual blessing to me. I've seen clearly that the church possesses in Jesus our divine healer, an inestimable treasure, which she does not yet know how to appreciate. And I have been convinced anew of that which the Word of God teaches us in this matter and what the Lord expects of us. And I am sure if Christians learn to practice the presence of the Lord that healeth, their spiritual life would be changed and developed and sanctified. And I can therefore no longer keep silence and I publish here a series of meditations with the view of showing according to the Word of God that the prayer of faith is a means appointed by God for the cure of sickness and in this truth is in accord with the Holy Scripture. And the study of this truth is essential for everyone who would see the Lord manifest His power and glory in the midst of His children. Marie then added to his ministry of preaching and teaching uh, a ministry of healing. And he went on to lead a holiness revival such that uh, historians consider him, even though he was Dutch Reformed, to be a forerunner of Pentecostalism. Because Murray insisted this, that every believer can expect to experience the fullness of the Spirit. He put it this way, I must be filled, it's absolutely necessary. I may be filled, God has made it blessedly possible. I would be filled, it's eminently desirable, I will be filled, it's so blessedly certain. And Murray stands in a long line in history of skeptics and seekers who long for answers to questions around divine healing. And one of the questions that often comes up in our day and time is that question, well, does God still heal today? Or is that finished and done with? How does God heal? Why does God heal? When does God heal? When He doesn't heal, why not? And some of the answers to those questions are unknowable, but some things are clear. And so we're going to look into God's Word today and we're going to see that in the Scripture it gives us a clear sense of God's heart, a clear sense of what to do, not if, but when you and I are faced with unhealed areas of our life because as Pastor Wally reminded us moving into communion, all of us have those areas of our life that are broken and need healing. And then later on this morning, we're going to open it up and have a time of prayer uh, for those who want to come and experience uh, healing in a particular aspect of their lives. So let's pray as we look into God's Word this morning. God, we thank you that you are real and you are active, you are alive, that you speak to us, and that you desire to bring wholeness to areas of our life that are unwell. Father, we thank you that you know every part of our hearts, you know every part of our fears, our doubts, and God, as we come to you, we bring all of that to you and ask that you would speak by your spirit to each person here this morning. Words of life, words of healing, words of mending, because that's what we need, Father. We need them, those from you. 
And so we want to ask you for both faith, which is a gift of, from you, and humility as well to receive. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, when we look through the Bible and trace a theme of healing, it's an incredibly rich tapestry that we see developed. Right from the very start of the Old Testament, we see God creating the world and declaring that it's good, that it's a place of shalom, that it's a place of, um, of perfect communion with God. And yet so quickly we see right away the presence of sin and evil and sickness and death entering our world. And we see all through the story of the scriptures, God at work restoring and healing and protecting and bringing life to things that are sick and that are broken. People of Israel, when they're in captivity in Egypt, God comes to them and he brings sickness to the Egyptians and yet he reminds the Israelites and says in the book of Exodus, I am the Lord who is healing you, who is your healer, bringing release from captivity and also protection from physical sickness. We see Miraculous healings of individuals in the life of both the people of God and then outside of that. We see in the story of Naaman, who's a man who's afflicted with leprosy. God extending his hand of healing to people who are far from him and don't necessarily even possess faith to believe in him in 2 Kings chapter 5. In Ezekiel chapter 47, we see a picture that God gives to the prophet Ezekiel of a river that flows out from the throne of God, and it flows to the nations, and it brings healing, not only to individuals, but also to nations and people groups. We see in Malachi chapter 4, verse 2, that those who fear the Lord, who are in relationship, who call on the name of the Lord, it says, the son of righteousness, when he comes, referencing Jesus, will rise with healing in his wings, and he will release you to leap and dance, and run. It's a picture of restoration and wholeness. And we see this real clearly in the ministry and life of Jesus when he comes onto the scene declaring that God's kingdom has come. His ministry is marked by God's healing presence and power. In Acts chapter 10, verse 38, it says, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. Then in Luke chapter 9, we see that Jesus says to his followers, gives them this ministry and says, I want you to go out and I want you to heal the sick and I want you to preach the good news. And in the book of Acts, the followers of Jesus in the early church adopt that as part of their ministry. And it's marked by God's healing presence and power as they extend the kingdom of God. In fact, there's a very strong mission focus and emphasis to the outpouring of God's spirit because healings become an opportunity for people to declare the goodness of God who's bringing salvation and life to them. And so healings often in the New Testament function as signposts. They're bearing witness to the power and presence of God who is alive pointing to the truth that God restores not only the soul, but also the body, the emotions, past experiences. And they point to God's heart and His desire for humankind. 
to experience a sense of wholeness and restored relationship with him and with each other. But it still leaves us with our question, is God still doing those kinds of things today? I know we read about it in the Bible, but what about now? What about how God heals? What about the questions of who gets healed and who doesn't get healed and why? And there's lots of wrestling with excellent questions in this area. And we may not be able to answer all of them in our time together this morning, but hopefully we can frame up the discussion a little bit for an ongoing conversation. Because we're in the middle of our teaching series at Jericho called Unleashed. And our Unleashed series is focusing on the gifts that the Spirit gives and asking ourselves the question, what does it mean to live and to walk as recipients of good gifts from a Father who loves us that we sang about already this morning? What does it mean? And so we want to look into God's Word and ask a question around specific gifts. What does it look like to see that gift unleashed in our lives and in our day and our time? So for the last two weekends, we spent some time exploring and practicing together around the gift of prophecy, which again is just God speaking to us and then through us to other people. And we had lots of experiences of that last weekend Uh, encouraging each other and growing and building faith. And embedded in the list of gifts in the New Testament is a gift of healing. And so turn with me in your Bibles or on your device. We're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. When Paul talks about gifts that God has given to his church, we remember again and remind ourselves that there are always uh, gifts that are to be done and practiced in love. And they're always gifts that the Spirit gives as He chooses. And they're gifts with particular purposes in mind. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 7, when Paul's talking about a cluster of gifts, he says, Spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. To one person, the Spirit gives the ability to give wise advice. To another, the same Spirit gives a special message of knowledge. The same Spirit gives great faith to another, and to someone else, the one Spirit gives a gift of healing. He gives one person the gift of, and the power to perform miracles, and another person the ability to prophesy. And so, again, we have to remind ourselves about the definition of a spiritual gift. And so, when it comes to the gift of healing, remember that it too is a gift. So, anything we said that serves as a resource for ministry or as an occasion for God's grace to be shown, can be considered a gift that God has given by His Spirit. And so if we begin to think about the topic of healing, when God chooses to heal someone, it becomes an opportunity for His grace to be shown in that person's life. And so remember, again, the gifts are not about our personal Um, experience of them that we can then sort of lay claim to it and think, well, I really own this kind of a gift, so this would be really kind of cool to use in particular occasions. Remember, when God grants someone a gift and when he grants faith for healing then, he does so not because it's something special or unique or of your own kind of power or piety or particularly that you're just so spiritual that God would want to give that to you, but He does it 
to glorify the name of Jesus. Think about in Acts chapter 3, when Peter and John encounter the man who's begging, and God gives them uh, graciousness to be able to bring healing into his life physically. And right away, the people start to look at them and say, wow, these two must be like something pretty special. This guy, they, they healed this guy. And Peter says, whoa, 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 whoa. Before we go any further in this conversation, I need to remind all of you that this is not because of anything that we have done. We just are pointing to Jesus, who is the one who has graciously healed this man. And so we need to remind ourselves of that, that when God grants faith for healing, he, he does so not because of our own power or piety, but because He is bringing glory to the name of Jesus. Now, the flip side of that is that we need to also remember that where healing is not present, it does not mean that somehow God is not present or He has no desire to pour out His grace. Sometimes people say stupid, wrong, and horrible things to people when they're praying for or talking about a conversation on healing. Sometimes we can get ourselves to places where, okay, I'm intellectually persuaded about it, or maybe I even theologically persuaded, but there's hang-ups. And some of this comes from cynicism, and some of our cynicism comes from just observing, again, where this gift has been completely misappropriated or wrongly used or abused. Sometimes this gift is used by people like faith healers, and sometimes we think, oh, I don't want to get involved in that at all. That's just like a bunch of snake oil salespeople, and they just want to do it to make money or get a bigger offering or anything like this. So uh, as an example of this, I want you to look at this clip. This is from the 1992 movie uh, by Steve Martin called The Leap of Faith. A drunk truck driver did that. Four hours, stuck in a crash watching our mom and dad die. Doctors did all they could. Took tests, stuck him with needles a foot long, all for nothing. So he had me take him to a preacher. The preacher got him up on stage. And when it was all over, he was still on his crutches. Now, do you want to know what that man said to my little brother? He said that it was his fault because his faith wasn't strong enough. Well, let me tell you something. All that boy has is faith. So the last thing he needs is another phony messing with his head, okay? The preacher told the young boy, oh, he just didn't have enough faith. That's why he wasn't healed. I mean, there's so many countless examples that we could probably think of and point to about where this gift is abused or misused. And so when it comes to the topic of healing, sometimes you just have to start sifting through the baggage, either culturally or personally, and just see what it is that we believe and what are our convictions around healing. What does the Bible teach about healing? Well, one of the things that if we trace this theme through the scriptures we see is that the first thing we see always pointed to is the source of healing. 
Healing is always a gift when it comes of God's grace. And healing can come in many, many forms and in many diverse ways. You see, when we're healed, regardless of where it came from, a prescription that the doctor gave us, a homeopathic remedy, counseling sessions, healing prayer, however it comes into our lives, it's a gracious gift from a father who loves us. Healing, shalom, wholeness, peace, freedom, these are gifts that God gave us to enjoy. And many people here at Jericho are involved in healing and helping professions. Nurses, kinesiologists, pharmacists, counselors, doctors, educators. You have the incredible privilege of being co-participants with God in bringing healing into the lives of people around you. What a powerful privilege that God has given to you. And I think sometimes when we get caught up on, well, where did the healing come from? Was it uh, from the medical community or was it when somebody prayed in faith? We are getting hung up on the wrong question because we need to be reminding ourselves that the healing has come and that God, by His gracious provision, has given it. And so whether God's given someone a skill set, an educational opportunity, a mind to problem solve, a heart to love and care, whatever tools of the trade that God has given them to bless others, do it to the best of your ability and with all of the strength that God provides and always thank God for it. And so when we talk about healing, we thank God for medical systems and doctors. And we don't in any way say, oh, well, if you seek a medical route instead of just asking for that, just an example where you don't have any faith. No, not at all. These things are not in opposition to each other. The source is still the same. All truth is God's truth. And so whatever route that comes from, we need to remind ourselves that that healing is a gift of God's grace. Secondly, when healing comes, sometimes it comes and sometimes it doesn't. Despite all the best medical science, despite all uh, most faithful prayers offered in faith, despite sincere repentance, whatever, and in these cases, we need to exercise an amount of caution because the causes of things are not always clear to our eyes. Not speaking from a medical perspective here, but rather we need to remind ourselves of a truth that we find throughout the Scriptures, and that is that we need to be careful not to assume that where sickness is present, that that automatically equals sin in somebody's life, or that they just have a lack of faith. Remember in the book of Job, Job's friends come to him, and they sit with him, and they listen to him, and basically, at the end of their conversation, they say, hmm, I think, Job, what's becoming clear to us is that there's sin in your life. And so the reason that you're experiencing divine judgment is because clearly you've done something to displease God. You just need to repent, and then God will heal you. But yet the text says, in all of this, Job did not sin. And so his friends 
were trying to figure out the cause to the best of their abilities and digging and digging and digging deeper and deeper. And yet it was not as a result of sin in Job's life. Now, with that being said, we need to also remind ourselves of the counterbalance to that, that Paul, when he's giving instructions to the church about preparing and readying ourselves for a celebration of communion, he gives a warning and says, if there's initial, uh, intentionally unconfessed sin that you are harboring in your life, it can result in some among you being sick, he says. So there can be a link between intentionally harboring sin in your life and something of unhealth being present in your life. But let's not kid ourselves that Paul's just speaking about something physical here. Friends, if you harbor something in your life, say it's sexual sin, your marital relationship is not going to be optimally healthy if you harbor that. If you harbor greed in your life, your capacity for healthy generosity is not going to be well. And so, the caution that we need to take here is to find a kind of awareness and remind ourselves simply to say around causality, why something is present in someone's life, don't play God because that job is already taken. God alone is all-knowing. He knows about the circumstances and intricacies of a person's history and their faith, or lack thereof. Remember the story of the man who's born blind in John chapter 9. The disciples are quite clear in their thinking. Okay, Jesus, he's been born blind. There's two options. One, it was something he did, so clearly there's sin in his life. Or two, it must be, if not him, it must be something his parents did to cause this. They must have really gotten God angry. And Jesus says, um, neither. In this particular instance, this has happened so that the power of God can be seen in him. But here's the challenging thing. As Pastor Wally reminded us coming into a time of communion. You see, in, the, in Jesus' day and time, in their way and frame of thinking, that God could bring healing to someone's physical body was a no-brainer. They thought, clearly, if someone was sick and then they were not sick, that's an evidence of the presence of power of God. But incredible doubts existed in their mind around the element of spiritual healing, God's capacity to forgive sins. And so Jesus bumps up against this time and time and time again in his ministry. And so he often is bringing those two dynamics together in a conversation and saying, listen, I know you think that it's really hard for God to bring spiritual healing to people, but really easy for God to bring physical healing to somebody. So just so we're not unclear about how powerful God is, we're just going to bring both into this setting. Over and over and over again, Jesus operates through that lens because they had incredible doubts that God would forgive sins and heal spiritually. And I'm, I'm intrigued by the fact that in our day and time, we actually have the opposite challenge. 
we talk about and think about Jesus forgiving sins and we celebrate communion and we find it a, a capacity to believe that God could save someone, wipe away their spiritual sickness and brokenness and restore them to right relationship with a God who loves them. But we think, I don't know if God could actually do anything with somebody's physical body. Why could God do that in the spiritual realm but not in the realm of bringing healing to our physical bodies and to our human relationships. So if you're a good physician, you diagnose the cause, and then if you're a physician, you think about what resources do I have at my disposal, and then you make a prescription, and you write it out completely illegibly so no one can read it. And the same thing is true when we think about our second passage of Scripture today in the book of James. Because the Scripture goes on to talk about, in the book of James, where James has talked about uh, endurance in a time of suffering. Turn with me to James chapter 5, and we're going to see a prescription. The action is clearer, but the action is also not magical in any way. James simply says this in James chapter 5, verses 13 to 15. Are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord, and such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick, and the Lord will make you well. And if you've committed any sins, you will be forgiven. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power, produces wonderful results. Remember, Elijah was as human as we are, and yet when he prayed earnestly, no rain would fall. None fell for three and a half years. And then when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain and the earth began to yield its crops. James says, are you sick? You should pray. Now again, this is not in opposition to heading to a walk-in clinic or pursuing an appointment with specialists. Doctors, very good doctors, existed in James's day. So this wasn't written to some sort of uh, pre-modern society or context where Jesus had yet to think of or invent medicine. And so this was just some tied over until we got there providing some kind of patchwork spiritual solution. James simply invites us into this process to say, if we're sick, we should pray. So there's four things that James actually specifically says that we should do in this passage. And the first one is just pray, personal, engage in personal prayer. Ask the Lord to stir up perseverance in your life. He spent the majority of the book and, in fact, the majority of uh, the section right before this talking about if you're going to pray for something, pray for patient endurance. And also pray for faith. And here I think about my dad's story. My dad, when he was a brand new Christian, uh, came with a lot of baggage from his past and from his actions in his life. And he wanted to be rid of that. And so he began to talk to God about those types of things in very simple language. 
he would just say stuff like, God, I don't want these things in my life anymore. And if you're real, and I'm kind of starting to think that you might be, maybe you could do something about them. Not in a manipulative kind of twisting God's arm way, but just simple faith. And just saying, I don't have a lot of faith, but could you give me more faith to believe? And my dad decided that there were a few specific things that he wanted to be rid of. And one of them was uh, that he wanted to stop smoking. And so he thought, well, that would be something I'd want God to heal me of. I wonder if we could take a crack at that. And so he prayed and said, God, I want to ask you to just help me stop smoking. And that was it. There was nothing or nobody around him, no other people praying for him about this particular thing in his life. And in his experience, he said, from that moment on, I never had another craving for nicotine, for a cigarette, for anything. God brought instant healing in that area of his life. Now, in other areas of his life, not so much. There were battles and long seasons of hard work and stuff that he's still working through and that he's not healed of. But maybe for you today, maybe the starting place is actually right in front of you. You've been searching all over the place for healing. And maybe today God is saying to you, I want you to come to me and just talk to me about it. You don't have to use fancy language. You don't have to sort of muster up a whole bunch of emotion. Just come and talk to me about it. Pray. Engage in personal prayer. Ask the Lord. Like the man who brought his son to Jesus. And the, he said, oh, God, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Second thing James says that can be of strengthening assistance to us in this process of asking for healing is corporate prayer, inviting others to join you and pray over you and for you and with you. James says, call the elders of the church and have them anoint you with oil. So two questions should come to our minds in this. A, why the elders? And B, why oil? Is there something magical about oil that James is saying? Or is it something that only those who are elders can do? Well, one of the things that we observe in the New Testament around elders and eldership is those uh, people who are serving as elders are those who have been discerned by the community and placed in leadership to exercise spiritual authority in a given community. And the qualifications of eldership are clear. Not that they're to be perfect, because then we wouldn't have any elders at all or pastors. The qualifications are that they have maturity in their faith, that they're filled and increasingly asking to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so those are the kinds of people that you want to search out and seek out and ask and invite to pray with and for you. Again, the oil isn't magical in any way. It's simply, in the Scriptures, the sign and presence of the Holy Spirit. When kings were anointed in the Old Testament, they were anointed with oil as a sign that God's Holy Spirit uh, was going to be present in their life and ministry. And so that's why sometimes people will use oil when they anoint others. By inviting other people to pray for you, you're inviting others in to that process of faith. 
because it cultivates humility. You have to actually ask someone and say, I don't have everything I need. I need and would love to invite you to step into this place with me. And that cultivates both humility and faith. And God loves both of those things. That's why in a few minutes we're going to have our elders available for prayer for you. The third thing that James invites us to consider is just like Paul's instructions for communion, James says in verse 16 is that we should examine our hearts. And if there are things in our lives that we need to attend to, we need to persist in confession and in holy living. James says, confess your sins to each other, which can be incredibly scary business. Because again, you're inviting other people into your life in a place of profound weakness. I have things in my own life that I am not healed of, and I still need to ask repeatedly for healing of. Sins that trip me up, drag me down, and one of the things that God is using in my life to bring increased healing into those areas is just a regular time of confession with a close spiritual friend, and He helps me pursue holy living. When I come honestly and say, this is something I'm wrestling with, this is a sin that's tripped me up in this area of my life, this week. And he increasingly helps as I confess my sins to bring increased healing into parts of my life. That's an example of God, the Holy Spirit, giving him and inviting him into a process of healing in my life. And so, this is again where James 5, 16 has two parts to it. Because the second half of James 5.16 says, pray for each other, and he's talking to everybody here, so that you will be healed. And so that's the fourth thing James says, is just pray actively for other people. Don't wait for the elders to run around and do it, or people to get around to asking the elders to do it. Just pray for each other so that you may be healed. We all know people who are not well, physically, spiritually, and other ways. And maybe today... When you come for prayer, you're coming for prayer for healing on their behalf. And you're saying, I want to actively pray for my friend, for my neighbor, for uh, a spouse, for a child who needs healing in this particular area. And you're going to join with others and ask God for faith and for healing. It doesn't have to be a big thing. It can be something real simple. And so that's why we have prayer response time here at Jericho every weekend is because we just believe we should be actively praying for each other and praying that God would bring healing into those areas of our life where we want to see healing come. And so I just want to highlight for us, whenever we do prayer and healing here at Jericho, uh, we're, there's just a couple of simple guidelines and instructions that we give to the people that are going to be doing prayer. And it's just simple guidelines we'll put up on the screen. And that the first one is just asking permission. Can I pray for you? Or what would you like God to do for you? And this, again, isn't twisting God's arm or making him do something. I love how Andrew Murray expressed this. And he said, faith is not the logical reasoning which ought in some way to oblige God to act according to his promises. It's just a confident and confiding attitude of the child who honors his father and who counts upon his love to see him fulfilling his promises, who knows that he's faithful to communicate to the body 
as well as to the soul, new strength, which flows from the redemption until the moment of full healing at his second coming is come. What would you like God to do for you today? Sometimes we just have not because we ask not. And so when we have people pray for you, we often just say to them, start the conversation with, what would you like us to pray about? What would you like God to do? The other thing that we'll do is we're directing people to God for healing. And so we'll spend time praising God in faith and a lot of times using the word of God because it's not about the person who's praying for you, not that they're super Christians or have special giftings in, in some way, although God may have given them a gift of healing. But it's the Lord who graciously heals. And so when you come to, uh, and someone's going to pray for you, we don't ask for a full medical history. We just simply say, hey, let's just take that request to God and ask that he would bring healing. And what would God want to say to us about that? And we just listen and look for God's ongoing direction in that conversation, which is where some of those other gifts in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 are so helpful, whether it's prophecy or faith or gifts of miraculous. God may bring someone into your mind this week to pray for and pray about. And just like last weekend where we just practiced listening to God and then on behalf of other people, God may bring someone to your mind or a particular instance to your heart this morning. And so you may just want to go to that person and say, hey, God, God put you on my heart today. Anything I can pray about for you or with you? And just join with him in that process. So feel free to do that. I'm going to ask Ron and the team if they'd come and they're going to lead us in two songs of response. And I'm going to ask our team who's available for prayer uh, if they would make their way to the sides and to the back. And I'm going to invite you to stand with me. And we're going to pray and move into a time of response.